0: you're listening to the co-main event podcast and now your hosts ben folks and chad dundas that's right you're listening to a very special episode of the co-main event mixed martial arts podcast I'm Chad Dundas, along with Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, you're in Australia. I'm in Australia. It's Thursday Thursday morning for you right now.
1: Thursday, about 7 a.m. here in Australia. Uh... It's lovely. It was really nice to leave Montana with snow on the ground and then come here. And it's spring here, and it's just goddamn beautiful.
0: Well, let's not paint too rosy of a picture. Picture. It turns out that you are allergic to the southern hemisphere, perhaps? Some,
1: something like that. I've got some kind of weird allergy thing going on since I landed. But you know what? Just a little sniffles. It's not going to slow me down. It's not going to stop me. It's not going to fetter my discourse, I'll tell you that much right now.
0: Well, here we are. We're at uh, the mercy of the transcontinental internet. But we got you right now. We're going to see how this goes. We've got some uh, listener mail that came in this week. We're hoping to do a little bit of all questions considered for this episode of the uh, of the CME, this special report. First, though, I wanted to uh, kick it over to you, so you could tell us a little bit about Australia. What's going on down there, man?
1: Australia is a lovely country, Chad. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that?
0: Uh, I've heard tell. My wife used to used to live there for a time.
1: Well. Here's what I like about Melbourne. It's Melbourne. That's how they say it. Did did you know that? Melbourne.
0: You're remarkably accent-free so far.
1: Oh, no. I'm going to come back uh, throwing boomerangs and talking about wallabies and all kinds of bullshit. That's not a knife. (laughs) Uh, The city cops here seem to wear uh, black mesh kind of crocodile dundee-ish cowboy hats, and I fucking love it. That's amazing. They're just walking around the streets like that, and it's rad. Also, it's a big city. Melbourne is a big city. And yet uh, people are not out in the streets yelling at each other. I don't know if I've heard anybody honk their horn in the car yet. It's kind of amazing. It's like when you go to other countries and you realize like, oh, yeah, just because you have a big urban center. It doesn't have to mean that we're all dicks to each other. That's just how we choose to do it in America.
0: Have any of the UFC 243 fight festivities kicked off? What have you been up to?
1: No, the, today is the first day of fight festivities. There's open workouts today, um, and then a media day tomorrow. Yesterday, man, I'll tell you, it's a long damn flight to get here. Uh, I think about 16 hours in the plane. Chad, I watched three movies and still had a lot of time to kill. And One of them was that long-ass Avengers movie that I never saw, and still, still felt like I had a ton of time to kill. But So I got here early in the morning yesterday and felt totally weird and out of it. And like by two o'clock, it seemed like it was the middle of the night. Um, but then had drinks with a uh, CME listener, Nicholas Ward, uh, took me out to some weird bar in an alleyway, which in Melbourne, they call lanes have a lot of nice establishments in lanes, which even though first you look down the alley and you think, um, if I go down there to have a drink with somebody, I don't know, I might wake up one kidney short. But uh, no, it turns out it's just a good time. Uh, Always fun to meet CME listeners around the world. And uh, yeah, now I'm all settled in, ready to to do some fight week shit.
0: You just reminded me by saying that you listened to a few movies or watched a few movies on the plane. Uh, We got a clerical issue that we need to clear up. Clerical issue? The voting for next week's movie club over at the co-main event podcast Patreon page ended in a tie. Oh, no. The uh, Brick and uh, Raising Arizona both came in at 34% of the vote. Unfortunately, nineteen seventy seven Sorcerer did not make the cut, got only 32% of the vote, although I will say all the way around a very close round of voting for the next movie club. I don't know what we're going to do here. Raising Arizona and Brick have finished in a tie.
1: Maybe we flip a coin.
0: Maybe we flip a coin. Well, that would be like the least fun way to break the tie, wouldn't it?
1: Well, just so happens, Chad, that here in Australia they have. Here's my only beef with Australia so far: they like like Canada, like to issue a bunch of coins that have real monetary value. Yeah, like, just walk around you know, with
0: twenty dollars jingling around in your pocket.
1: Exactly. But you know, I can maybe deal with that. Except the fifty cent coin is giant. The dollar coin, eh, it's about the size of a quarter. The two dollar coins, about the size of a nickel or a dime. Now, what the fuck kind of sense does that make, Chad? The the smaller the coin, the more easily lost the coin is, the higher in value it is. Yeah, you're. I can't I can't support that.
0: As an ugly American, you're probably just taking handfuls of those two dollar coins and just throwing them in the gutter. You
1: know, I am aware though a uh, few times here where. People are like, I'll say something that to me seems totally normal and they're like, I'm guessing you're American and it doesn't sound like a compliment. you know
0: <laughs> Wow, you're making friends down there already.
1: Yeah, yeah it seems also uh, I, I went to tip the cab driver. he scoffed at me. They don't do the tipping here and I asked the, the person at the hotel about it. I was like, hey, I just tried to tip the cab driver on the way over here. He literally scoffed at me. I mean he took the money but he act also like acted weird about it and she was like yeah we don't we don't really do tipping cuz people just pay like livable wages so we don't really need you to tip us and when people try to tip me it actually i feel weird about it and i feel like a little bit dirty taking the money i was like oh okay
0: it just seems like Keep they've, my got, they've got coins all to myself. out. yeah you got one of those uh, big money coins handy
1: i do all right uh, we're looking at on one side i shit you not there are there's a fucking
0: kangaroo <laughs> yes
1: And on the other side, looks like Queen Elizabeth. All right, which is an interesting choice for Australia. Let's say Queen Elizabeth is raising Arizona, and the goddamn kangaroo is brick. All right, I'm
0: ready. You ready? I'm ready when you are. Oh shit! Oh Jesus! Oh, kangaroo. Kangaroo. Brick. Brick. So the next co-main event podcast movie club selection, decided on a literal coin flip from Australia, is Brick. Suggested, by the way, by CME patron Matthew Liming.
1: I'm excited to watch that. I have not seen it.
0: All right. Are you ready to get into these listener mail questions? Yes, I am. All right. First question this week comes to us from Roland Bleasy, who writes... So Tan, Dan, penalized MVP for showboating and allegedly called him a, quote, piece of shit after the fight. Is it me or was Dan way out of line? If a fighter wants to showboat, he runs the risk of getting knocked the fuck out. Discourse. So this obviously is a reference Ben, to uh, Michael Venom Page's win over there in Bellator in Ireland over Richard Kiley. It had been a a contentious matchup headed into the fight, and MVP ended up winning basically in accordance with the very lopsided odds by first round flying knee. And as he sent Kylie crumpling to the mat, he kind of, he did some showboating. He staggered around inside the cage, like a drunk, like a guy who just received a knee, like a guy who just been concussed, uh, went over and taunted the fallen Kylie while referee Dan Mergliata was trying to uh, make sure that he was okay. Uh, at least originally according to MVP he and Dan Mergliotta exchanged words Dan Mergliotta said he was he was a piece of shit or was acting like a piece of shit something like that Mergliotta to my understanding has later come out and confirmed that he did say that to Michael Page Ben is is was this in fact way out of line
1: You know I don't really have a problem with the showboating during the fight cuz I I agree to some extent with our here that if you want to showboat, then the risk is you get knocked out and you look a damn fool. And that's just the the bargain. But when you, and even showboating, like after the fight, after you've won, you're doing this stuff where you're staggering around. Okay. But when he walked over and he, people are trying to attend to the downed fighter and you walk over to him and stand there talking some shit while he's down there, that's the part where I'm like, okay, that's a piece of shit move. And if you get called a piece of shit behind that, then that too is part of the bargain. And I don't – I mean I don't really necessarily disagree. You could argue that maybe the referee is the one person who should be keeping his composure there. But also we've seen – if you choke somebody out and you go over there and try to lift his legs up and try to help him out, there are, people are going to freak out and be like, hey, get away from him. You know, just get far away from that downfighter and let us take care of it. So if you walk over just for the purpose of talking shit to the guy you just beat, then yeah, they're they're going to have a reaction to that too. So, th- I mean, that's the part I think where you, you cross a certain line and you might get called a piece of shit and I'm okay with that.
0: Yeah, I just don't think they're the the ringside official, the in-cage official, Dan Mergliata, should be the one calling MVP a piece of shit. I think that if you're- You think you should the- be the doctor? Yes. Yeah. Or one of the judges. Yeah. Or a so ring card girl. I don't care. Yeah. I just okay, think the guy yeah. who's in charge of uh taking care of everybody's health and safety in there in the cage should maybe hold himself to a higher standard. Like I don't think that Mergliata should allow his emotions to sort of get the better of him to be the one to call MVP the, the piece of shit. And you know, like this sport is kind of no stranger to this sort of this reaction to winning your fight, what is a contentious matchup you know, via, uh, knockout via, via like jaw dropping knockout. I don't, I don't know, you know, if we're going to let Jorge Masvidal do it and we're going to love when Jorge Masvidal does it. I don't know that we can really make too many pitched, uh, critiques of Michael Venom page when he does it either.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I just think, I mean, just for a general strategy idea for michael venom page try i mean the so, show voting during the fight even immediately afterwards all that stuff is good um but try to be a little more magnanimous in victory i guess would be if i had some notes to offer mvp it's like all right go out there do your thing put on a show and everything but once you've won then at least pretend to be like kind of a good sportsman there for just a couple seconds. Just long enough for people to be like, okay, this guy is fun and I don't have to feel awful about supporting him.
0: Next question this week comes for us from Nicola Sturgeon. That must be a, uh, a pseudonym of some kind, I would I would gather. Let me check it out here real quick.
1: I'm pretty sure we've heard from Nicola Sturgeon before.
0: Scottish politician who is currently serving as the fifth first minister of Scotland.
1: <laughs> so The fifth first minister, okay. Under Major Domo Minor.
0: <laughs> she writes, As another hype t- train derails with the defeat of casual romancin Jack Hermanson. how many guys or gals actually get back to the same level they were once at? Just wondering, with his hype train broken by a losing streak, but then achieving a good win at the weekend, what would it take to get everyone back on board with uh, lip-smackingly tasty uh, Mark Diacchisi? so we kind of we okay. we wandered so, into a couple of different fights there but you you get the impression uh Jack Hermanson let's start there uh felled in a in a what was a essentially a hometown appearance for him uh, uh he was the, the the both the betting favorite and the the in arena favorite there uh, amongst the fans in Copenhagen gets defeated via first round or second round i'm sorry tko by jared Cannoneer via punches Uh, what do you think about the derailing of Jack Hermanson's hype train and whether or not he is able to still, uh, put together a winning streak to get back to the level that we thought he was at here knocking on the door of title contendership?
1: Well, first of all, I love Jack Hermanson's response to this loss that shows you why. You know, you're know, primping and prancing and Jack Hermanson right there, is that he went out there and he was like, hey, I thought I was the best and I want to be the best. And uh, Jared Cannonier showed me that I'm not there yet and I still have stuff to learn. I'm like, man, that's just classy as fuck. I, and I love it. But also, I think this reaction, while well, I totally get it, it's really more of a response to our initial impulse that, to begin with, Jack Hermanson was – exceeding his ability a little bit with this win streak itself like we we always had that in our heads about him when he goes out there and he wins one we're like okay you win one you got somebody with your funny guillotine you won't win the next one though when it gets higher and then he goes out there and fights somebody like Jacques and we're like oh shit you won that one too okay but that's as high as you shall climb and so we kept doing that thing so then when he finally does inevitably suffer a defeat we're like okay well that was it that was the best sprint you possibly could have had in you and it didn't get you there and you'll never again reach that level
0: this might be breaking news, but did you know that according to Jack Hermanson's Wikipedia page, his real legal first name is Bernhard? <laughs> how do you get How do you get Jack out of that? Well, maybe Jack is the middle name. It says Bernhard Jack Hermanson, known professionally as Jack Hermanson. Man,
1: I would really love a fighter named from Denmark named Bernhard Hermanson.
0: Yeah, he's like it sound, he's like the Archduke. The Archduke yeah. Bernhard Hermanson.
1: Yeah. Can he really like slowly remove a a leather glove one finger at a time while he before he steps into the cage, like get out of a a touring car and <laughs> uh remove like a big cigarette holder from his mouth and, yeah. and a monocle and then get in there?
0: His thing is that he walks across the cage and slaps the other guy in the face with a leather glove before they fight. That's how you know that Bernhard Hermanson yeah. is about to do his thing it's about to go down <laughs> i'm gonna go ahead and say uh what we really are taking away from ufc copenhagen is something of a i don't know if star turn is too uh you know uh vehement of a way to to phrase it but jared Cannonier was kind of showing me a lot during this ufc i'll say during and after uh, yeah this you ufc mean, copenhagen I assume, event i
1: assume you're referencing when he uh Let us all know that he has control of the entire universe.
0: Not only does he get on the mic and say that he is in control, he has power over the entire universe, but then he shows up to his post-fight appearance at the ESPN Plus anchor desk with Karen Bryant and Tyron Woodley holding a shiny hunk of pyrite mineral in one hand. Saying that stones of the earth he's been Stone doing of the earth he's been doing a lot of work with stones of the earth lately, and he is uh-huh. counting yeah. on their metaphysical properties to be uh negating negative energy. He said, I mean, look, man. If you go out here, you beat the executive branch, you beat Anderson Silva, you beat Fast Dancing, Jack Hermanson all right in a row, you kind of crash the middleweight title picture, and then you come to an interview on ESPN Plus talking about how you've been doing work with Stones of the Earth and giving credit to their metaphysical properties, I'm on board. I want to see where this goes. I want to see how far the medical metaphysical properties can take you, Jared Christopher Cannoneer. I'm on board. That's what I'm saying.
1: However, one thing that we should have learned from the cautionary tale of the big homie Manny Newton is don't assume that the universe always has your back. That is true. Just because you're in control of it, just because you are working with stones of the earth, don't assume that the universe has your back because you, you might get taught a hard lesson that way.
0: Yeah. No, the, uh, the universe can be a cruel mistress, I guess, is the, uh, the legacy of Manny Newton, this, I mean, if anything, this sets up a titanic battle between Stones of the Earth and the MMA gods, in a way.
1: Oh, yeah. Man, that's, that's a tough one. Also, though, I, I do feel like we, we might need a ruling from some kind of regulatory body about if a guy can have control over the entire universe. And is that considered? Like, are Stones of the Earth performance enhancing? Is it an unfair advantage to have control of the universe? Because it seems like it would be helpful. Big, if true. Yeah.
0: That's what I will say about power over the entire universe. All right, next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott, who writes, Bellator had something like 177 fights spread over two events this weekend, one of which was Lyoto the Dragon Mishida losing a split decision to uh, Gegard the Dreamcatcher Musasi. Feel free to fact-check that that nickname. The normally stoic and frank voice of reason, Mousasi, got rather feisty when addressing his potential next opponent, Rafael Lovato Jr., at the post-fight press conference. The Dreamcatcher suggested that the quote-unquote media should be reporting on what he alleges are drastic changes to uh Lovato's body due to steroid use. He riffs on how one could milk his nipples, among other amusing albeit out of character comments. In your opinion, what is the difference between being a sore loser and just saying stuff to be funny in order to get a point across?
1: Well, I mean he definitely it seems like he he believed that. Like when he was saying the stuff about his nipples and the way he looked at Wayans, that I mean, I think he realized he was being funny. And he even made a self-deprecating mark about, like, oh, maybe I'm being a little bit of a sore loser. But also, he was not entirely joking there. I think he was really holding that up as, hey, this, I know this dude's on steroids. I saw his nipples. And you guys are bullshit for not reporting on that. Like, or you guys need to talk about that more. I think he really – I think it was a legit thing from the mind of the dream catcher there.
0: Yeah, well, and also, let's not forget that Javier Lovato Jr. came along and snapped Gegard Musasi's eight-fight win streak, took his Bellator middleweight title at Bellator 223 uh, in June of this year. And I think ever since then, we have been hearing these allegations mostly from Musasi that Lovato has has been on the gear. And now that Musasi has moved on, got himself back in the win column with this split decision over Lyoto Machida at Bellator 228— as we noted before this event, he seems to have two options. He could hang around and and rematch Javier Lovato Jr. and middleweight, try to get his title back, or he could go up to light heavyweight and fight the champ champ Ryan Bader. Now, I, I, it seems like Musasi, to my mind, might be a little bit small to be going up there to try to uh, take on Ryan Bader, but uh, you know these 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 uh, uh, performance-enhancing drug allegations. Something that has been swirling around Lovato since this win over Musasi. And, you know, if if yeah, you know, I think it can be both things. I think Musasi can uh legitimately believe that Lovato is on steroids, and I think he can be a little bit sore over having his title taken away and his, his long win streak snapped. So I don't know uh, you know, what else to say about it other than that, that it seems like he gets he got in front of the camera and he took the opportunity to sort of you know vent those frustrations.
1: Also, though, don't turn your ire on the media and be like, you guys need to be doing more reckless speculating about people's drug use based on their nipple appearance. Don't yeah. Because like, that's, not, that's not something that we can do, man. We can't be like, breaking news, uh, nipple-related evidence suggests that this guy is basically a cheater. Deep dive. We, we're not going to do that.
0: Into, into Rafael Lovato Jr.'s nipple area. We're calling also, upon a noted I, nipple expert Rashad Evans to come in here <laughs> and tell us what this means from Rafael, Rafael Lovato Jr.'s nipples.
1: Also, if you're Scotty Coax and you got one of your top middleweights up there talking about how this the champs on steroids and the media needs to focus more on it, and you're already feeling like, hey, we're we're kind of skating by without getting the same level of scrutiny that the USC got and nobody's pressing us to partner up with USADA or anything. And, you know, we're, we don't want to really call attention to that. Now, are you like, you know, doing the like hand across the throat gesture to Masasi, telling him like, Hey, knock it off, man. We don't want people to start asking more questions about Bellator and doping.
0: Yeah. You know, you may, there are some rocks you might not want to turn over, I guess if you are Bellator, and you are kind of enjoying this double standard not only as it pertains to drug testing but frankly this double standard just about what we expect from your business practices what we expect from your matchmaking what we expect from you know what we consider a high level bellator show or what we even want what you know as 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 uh, fundamental as what kind of entertainment we want to get out of a bellator show uh yeah you might you might want to kind of keep your head down and just uh uh, keep skating along with what you got going if you are Bellator, and and you might even want to take a play a page out of the David Dana Dana White playbook and say, you know, this sport is regulated by the government.
1: You yep, guys regulated by the government.
0: That's good enough for us.
1: Yeah, goddamn government.
0: Next question this week comes to us from the Cheeseburger Walrus. Our old friend, he writes, if you're OSP's next opponent, are you practicing Von Flu chokes and nothing else? Seriously, though, how is he doing this shit? Ben, uh, Ovin St. Prue, at this uh, fight night event in Copenhagen, headlined by Hermansen versus Cannoneer, he gets what was it? This is his third UFC... I guess it's fourth. It's his fourth. It's fourth one. Fourth. Yeah, fourth in the UFC. You're right. Fourth Von Flu choke victory. Uh... And there's a lot of people online saying we're gonna go ahead and rename this thing the Von Prue choke, which
1: Yeah, see, I'm on board. And that's the thing Yeah, I think that's the thing to do with it, because that way you use part of both men's names. It's a nod to the guy who innovated it in the first place, but then also a nod to the guy who has used it more successfully than anybody else. The thing that's amazing to me about it is that choke that requires you to screw up first before he can really put that choke on. Like you have to try to attempt a, just like uh, an arm overhooking the head from either uh, side control, like bottom and side control, or from half guard or something, which there's no really good reason to do that in the first place. Like The reason you do that is to hold the guy's head down so that he can't posture up and punch you from either one of those two positions. But as far as like improving your your position on the ground, that does nothing for you. And so it's amazing that people keep doing it against the guy who has shown that if you do it even for a second, he can beat you with it. And yet, I don't know if it's just like an automatic response where the guy is pressuring you on top. You don't want to get hit in the face right then. So you don't even think about it. You reach your arm over there and and try to pull his head down just to give yourself a breather for a second where he's not hitting you. And then you remember, oh shit, yeah, this is the guy. This is the guy who does that thing. And now I'm fucked. I, it's amazing to me that people keep making that because you have to make that mistake in order to set up that choke uh, and people keep doing it somehow.
0: You want to talk about a guy who at this point could make a legitimate case to having power over the entire universe? Ovens saint Prue keeps inducing these opponents of his into making this mistake. How are they doing that? This is like the one thing you don't want to do. Against Ovin St. Preux. I mean, the guy came into this fight having lost uh, three of his last four fights. And on the other side of the coin, three of his last five wins in the UFC have come by Von Fluchoke. This is the one thing you can't do. And people keep doing it. I think we, you know, speaking of stones of the earth, we got to look into what what manner of mind control Ovin St. Preux has going for him.
1: Do you think that maybe that's a conversation like that? If you get stuck backstage with Jared Canineer and he's just trying to make small talk with you, like he'll come up to Open Saint Prue and be like, "Hey man, what kind of stones of the earth are you working with?" And you're just like, "Well, shit, here we go, here we go. Now I'm in this conversation."
0: Next question this week comes to us from Cat Pope. He writes, "I took enough Nyquil to kill a lesser man when this fever dream came to me, and it's been sitting there cooking in notes for a few days. Took it to notes. Oh, here.
1: nice." Took it to notes.
0: Allow yourself to imagine a world in the not-too-distant future in Uncasville, Connecticut. Frank Mir beats Roy Nelson in a fight that's somehow impressive for both fighters. He gets on the mic and calls out the War Master for a rematch for the the end-of-the-year show in Japan. Then the show comes, parenthetically, Fedor beats Rampage as well. He subs him in under a round in an absolute clinic on the ground. He gets on the mic and says, give me Czech Congo and says, make the match for March. He goes out. Are we still talking about Frank Mir? Is that who we're it's talking it's about still,
1: here? This is still going. I'm, yeah, I'm having trouble holding on to the thread here.
0: He goes out and knocks him out in two rounds. Okay, see, we need some more signposts here. I think at this point what we are talking about is Frank Mir knocking out Czech Congo in two rounds and goes, the time is right, Brock Lesnar. Let's do the damn thing for July if you're not too scared. They book it in some lawless, non-USADA-tested matchup, irregardless of the outcome. Does this change the MMA landscape significantly if mere Lesnar 3 happens in Bellator in 2020? I think your there boy, so your boy many Cat many Pope is... There
1: things here. He warned and us that he
0: was on the NyQuil. He was on that NyQuil, Ben. He did. He did warn us.
1: But you know what? All of this stuff, all the implausible stuff, and somehow the thing that I find the hardest... The hardest thing to get me behind for suspension of disbelief wise is the very first thing: Frank Mir beats Roy Nelson in a fight that's somehow impressive for both fighters. Nope, there's no way. There's no way that fight ends up impressive for both fighters.
0: Then he goes on to tour tool Josh Barnett in an absolute clinic on the ground. Nope. So uh-huh. I, I, it's almost like we've got ascending levels of an inability to suspend my disbelief here.
1: Yeah. Because if there's I'm one thing
0: to, you're not going to do to part? Josh Barnett is tool him on the ground.
1: Is the most believable part that Fedor beats Rampage? Yes.
0: <laughs> yes, that is the, the most difference. believable part of this entire anecdote. I mean, let's just take the you know the final conclusion here, the thesis statement. Uh, there's no way Brock Lesnar would have a fight in Bellator, right?
1: No. Contractually, I just don't think he could do it or would do it. Even if he could.
0: We do appreciate it though, Cat Pope. Keep sending us those. Feel better, buddy. NyQuil-induced fever dreams. Good Lord. Next question this week comes to us from Matt Webb who writes, have you guys ever read any of Thomas McGuane's short stories? If so, which is your favorite?
1: Oh, yeah, man. I love some Thomas McGuane. I assume Matt Webb is asking because Thomas McGuane had a short story in uh, A Recent New Yorker.
0: I think he also put out a, a, a collection of short stories not too long ago. I think he's got a new collection. I actually out. bought that collection. Yeah,
1: I have it on my Kindle.
0: You know what? I like his short
1: stories, but they're also like uh, I've read enough of them at this point where you can be like, okay, yeah, that's a Thomas McGuane story. Like, I like how you know you read some people's short stories and they really make it very clear early on where they're setting up the artifice and they're like, okay here's where we're going. This is what the story is going to be about. And I jump on. I'll take you on this ride. And you're like, okay. And it's a little bit, uh, It's I don't want to say boring, but it's hard to surprise people that way. And Thomas McGuane's stories are like, I'm going to start out at this point. I'm going to do a few loop-de-loops, circle around, end up somewhere completely different. And you're going to wonder what it was all about in any way, but it's going to be enjoyable and quick and I'm not going to waste your fucking time. And that's what I appreciate about Thomas McGuane.
0: Yeah, I feel the same. I've never been all that big into his stuff. I've read some of it, but certainly I, I don't have encyclopedic knowledge of the Thomas McGuane, uh, you know, body of work. Uh, but I think that you are basically correct, and that is, I kind of think you can choose any Thomas McGuane short story and/or short story collection almost at at random, and you're going to get a very dependable product. I don't. I'm not going to come out and say it is what it is but it is what it is ben it's, it's also
1: he's one of those people that uh literature professors would love to refer to him as a western writer he's a, he is a western writer
0: yeah lives he in to set
1: some shit in billings or something
0: yeah he lives in bozeman i believe lives outside he lives in gallatin county outside bozeman if i'm not mistaken uh Loddy fucking uh, fucking <laughs> bozeman it's like walking into a barnes and noble that's what reading thomas mcgwain is like you know, no matter what city you're in, you walk into a Barnes and Noble, it's pretty much going to be the same as every other Barnes and Noble that you walk into. And I'm not saying that's bad. Walking into a Barnes and Noble can be incredibly enjoyable. You know how it's laid There's out. A there. There's a certain yeah. comfort there. That's exactly right. That's what Thomas McGuane is for me. All right. We only got a couple more questions here. This one's from Andrew Millington. He writes What does a perfect, quote, down to clown night look like for each of you gentlemen? how would ye best live deliciously?
1: I'm not even sure what we're talking about here.
0: Uh, Yeah. uh, We might have to get a clarification about what Andrew Millington means by down to clown night. Does he mean just like you're heading out to have a nice time? Is that what that means?
1: Or am I getting fucked up?
0: (laughs) I mean, he's essentially talking to two middle agers here. So like down to clown that could take on a lot of different connotations.
1: Yeah. I mean, it might be just like me eating half of an edible. Going down to the uh, the Silver Tip and having a couple few beers while watching a hockey game and uh, being like, "All right, I'm I'm pleasingly intoxicated, and now I'm going to go home and watch just, uh, Ken Burns' documentary on the couch and fall asleep."
0: Yeah, see, that's that Living sounds deliciously. That sounds pretty good. That sounds pretty good to me. That's uh, that's about what I would have rolling on, maybe with the absence of the edible,
1: because you can't handle it.
0: He couldn't handle it. Wouldn't be able to handle no. it. Next thing you know, I'd be a weed addict.
1: <laughs> I'd be like, "Whatever happened to Chad Dundas? He had a promising writing uh, career. Well, he got hooked on weed.
0: Now you see him on the street,
1: <laughs> catch him dancing down on, for nickels on the corner,
0: <laughs> Catch him on the sidewalk down by the courthouse, trying to get begging for change down there, hoping to get one of those two dollar coins out of Ben Folks's pocket. He'll never get one of those." All right, that's all we got. That's all the questions, Ben. What else? What else is going down down there in Australia? What's your What's your plan? What, let us in on some stuff. Give us some inside dope. Okay, what's happening?
1: Uh, here's what I'm trying to work on today. We've got the open workouts. We're going to go down there. Uh, I'm also I'm trying to I'm trying to talk to the people. I've been talking to the people about uh, how they feel about this particular event, <clears throat> how they feel about MMA in Australia, all that kind of stuff. Learning yeah. a lot of interesting stuff about Australians and how they view themselves, how they view the rest of the world, that kind of stuff. Also, I'm trying to work on, I don't know if you've heard this, but uh I can't remember her exact title. Some political leader here in Melbourne has she's come out against the Octagon girls. Is she a fifth ring- first minister? Uh <clears throat> yes, let's just let's sure, let's assume she is. Um but has said basically like ring girls is an antiquated tradition and has cited the other sports that Australians are really into where they had, you know, ornamental women involved and then they got rid of them, like in car racing and I think like darts or something else. And said, like, oh yeah, fighting should get rid of ring girls. The UFC pushed back on it, Dana White doing classic Dana White stuff, but being like, hey, these women have great careers with us and we treat them wonderfully, and they're they're a huge part of the show, and we'll never get rid of them, that kind of stuff. Um, I'm
0: going to try and work on something on
1: that. Maybe see if I can end up talking to some uh, Australian politicians. And and who knows? Who knows where we go from there?
0: There you go. You heard it here first, folks. Well, I hope you figure out what you're allergic to down there,
1: buddy. I feel like I'll probably just get on a plane still sniffling and never having having figured it out.
0: It's a missed opportunity. Well, I hope you enjoy your time there. Thanks for getting up early to talk to us. It is uh, Wednesday here about 4 p.m. in the one true time zone. This is probably the last you will hear from us this week. But, Ben, you're going to be back. Are we going to be back live on the air for the live stream, the co-main event podcast, on Monday as scheduled?
1: Uh, I think I get back like 4.30 in the afternoon on Monday. So, I mean, I could do a show on Monday if you want to do it in the evening, but uh, I won't be able to do it the usual time.
0: Maybe we'll think about Tuesday. Maybe we can hook it up for Tuesday. Let's plan on Tuesday. As for right now, though, we're done.